Well, tonight I'm reminded of a Simpsons episode, and in it, it's a, a Super Bowl Sunday, and, and the pastor comes out and he looks out in the congregation, and there's three people there, and he says, well, I see at least a few of you have been able to resist the temptation of a big game, and one of them jumps up and says, oh no, the game, and runs out immediately. Um, so I'm, I'm encouraged to see y'all here tonight. Um, despite the uh, distraction that, that's going on for, for many of our follow, fellow congregants. Uh, we're continuing on in the book of Philippians, and uh, we've, we've really, for most of chapter 2, has been talking a lot about humility. Uh, and re- remember we said one of the issues going on at the Church of Philippi was an issue of disunity, uh, and he, so Paul really wants the believers in the church at Philippi to have a unified mindset, to be one in spirit. And as, they're, as he's trying to move them to that point, he realizes one of the obstacles to that is their own selfishness. And so beginning in, in chapter 2, he makes this exhortation uh, to follow Christ's example of humility. And there's a beautiful psalm there describing the heights from which Christ came and the depths he experienced in his incarnation here on earth only to be risen up again. And then uh, we, we talked about the exhortation to obedience to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work within you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And Paul uh, mentioned putting away grumbling, disputing, and he presented himself as a model, uh, a kind of backhanded way saying, you know, he would be glad even if he was just a drink offering poured out to accompany their sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, So really, so far, we've had two models that that Paul's presented for the Philippians in terms of what uh, humility and sacrificial service is. And uh, there's two more examples he's going to present to them. It's it's kind of Paul has this uh, neat ability to take practical needs and then weave them into the purpose of his letter. So the next part is going to be about uh, people he wants to send to them and people he is sending to them. But he's also bringing up these two people because they're models of gospel service. They are models of gospel service. And uh, we're going to try and cover a lot of territory uh, I know when, when y'all see that I'm a- attempting 11 verses in one night, you're a little bit skeptical um, because we usually trudge a lot slower through the scriptures. Uh, but I'm going to try and cover all 11 tonight, looking at Timothy and Epaphroditus as models of gospel service. And uh, I'm, I want to make the argument to you that models of gospel service demonstrate humility availability, and mobility. So in these passages, we're going to see that these two models of gospel service are characterized or demonstrate humility, availability, and mobility. So with with those traits in mind, let's just look together at Philippians chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 19, reading the word of the Lord, and then read all the way to the end of the chapter in verse 30. Hear the word of the Lord. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him 
who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I shortly, that, that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth contained within it. We pray, Lord, that your word would transform us and conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. By your Holy Spirit's power, may we grow in faith, hope, and love towards you. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our ears and open our eyes to your word. We pray that we have been made aware of your presence. We are encouraged by your promises. And we pray that we would be strengthened in the faith of the gospel. We pray that our fruit might increase to the glory and praise of you, O God. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, I mentioned these things. Three ways in which a um, these three aspects of gospel service, these three things that demonstrate uh, a model of what it means to be serving the gospel: humility, availability, and mobility. Uh, now, we, we the first example we kind of get of this is Timothy. It says, "I hope in the Lord to Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you." You, you remember how Paul's throughout this book been using kind of relational leverage in order to get the Philippians to act in a right way. You see, you know, he talks earlier about whether I'm there or absent. I want a good report from you. I want to hear good things. I want to know good things. He says, I, I want to send Timothy so I can get a report back, so I can hear what's going on, so I can be encouraged by your progress and joy in the faith. Now, one of the th reasons... Uh, Paul wants to send him, he says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Um, one of the things we, we notice here is we begin to see why Paul has nobody else like him. He says everybody else is, is thinking about themselves. But Timothy, when he comes to you, you know what? I know he's going to be more concerned about your interests than his interests. He's going to be genuinely concerned about your welfare. 
He says, why? Everybody else seeks after their own interests, but he seeks after the interests of Jesus Christ. Now, now, do you notice, if you look at that chain backwards, do you notice kind of what he's saying? That the reason why Timothy cares and will put the Philippians' needs above and before his own needs is because he prioritizes Christ. And because he has great concern and great love for Jesus Christ, he's going to put the care and concern of the Philippians above his own interests. Why? Because he has the model of Jesus Christ. Now, this sounds real familiar for those of us who've been going through Philippians, because that, that was Paul's argument in the, in the first half of chapter 12. It's, look, we have a Savior who humbled himself. We had a Savior who came and died for sinners in a humiliating fashion. Now, if somebody that high is willing to bring himself that low in order to put the needs of others ahead of himself, and you say he's your Lord, you say he's your Savior, you say he's your Master, you say you're a follower of his, what excuse do you have to not put the concerns of others ahead of yourself? To try and elevate yourself within the church or, or cause squabbles or dissensions or divisions? We see that in addition to this commitment to Christ's interest, by the way, this reminds us that there's always a connection between theology and practicality. If there isn't, we have a major problem in our theology. His view of Christ changes the way he treats others. And this should always happen in our belief. Our doctrine isn't just something out there in the ether. It's something that needs to be applied into our lives. So we have this exhortation that's given. His commitment to Christ means he seeks the benefits of others. It also says his character is proven. It says, you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. His character is proven. How? By serving the gospel. Uh, we've, we've said that this, uh, if, if I was giving a title to the messages, this wouldn't be models of gospel service. Here he is committed to the service of the gospel. By the way, this is something earlier Paul has talked about in his own life. He says, I'm in prison, and there are other people out there that are preaching the gospel. Some are doing it to irritate me and irk, to irk me, to take over my ministry. Others are doing it out of sincerity, uh, seeking to, to continue the ministry I start. He says, but do you know what? Either way, I don't care. As long as Christ is preached and proclaimed, as long as the gospel is going forth, here he commits himself to serving the gospel. He has a track record of service. Uh, by the way, some of the background on, on Timothy um, demonstrates the length to which he was willing to go in service of the gospel. Uh, Timothy was a, a convert from Lystra, and, and when he was converted, he had a, a half-Jewish background. So his, his mother was Jewish, his father was Greek, and uh, th there were some issues that came with that because he was never circumcised. And Paul was going to go into synagogue, and uh, he, he realized it was going to cause some trouble if he went into a synagogue with a Jew that was uncircumcised. Now, Paul always insisted that Gentiles shouldn't be circumcised, uh, but in this case, he re realized it would ruin his witness to the Jewish people 
if he brought an uncircumcised person in, into the synagogue who was a Jew. Uh, so guess what Timothy did as an adult? He got circumcised. That, that is a painful procedure to go through in ages before anesthetic. And that's what he was willing to do in, in, for the sake of the gospel advancing. Another example of his proven worth from, from his history is uh, we've, we hear through the scriptures that he was uh, sent to Thessalonica. And the reason why he was sent to Thessalonica was because persecution was going on there. Now, I, I want you to think about that. When we hear about persecution in, in different places, usually we pray, oh, Lord, I hope those Christians can get out of there. Timothy was the type of person that was sent into there once he found out the church was being persecuted so that they could be encouraged, so that they could be exhorted, so that they could be lifted up. That's the type of person he was. And by the way, you, you see that in all types of emergencies, don't you? When the planes hit the Twin Towers, there were many running away from him, but there were also people going towards them, looking to help looking to find a way to help others at the risk of their own lives. So Timothy was one of the emergency responders. He was one of the ones who was sent into the dangerous situations. Uh, so, so all this, he says, I hope to send him uh, as soon as I see how it goes with me. Paul says, I want to wait, see what happens to me in this prison imprisonment, and then I'll send him. Uh, he'll, he'll update you on, on what's going on. And he says, I trust in the Lord that I shortly myself will come also. He has hope that he will be released, and he wants to see them as well. Uh, now, let's back up, and, and, and looking at this kind of profile we have here of Timothy, uh, consider some of his, his attributes. I, I said there, here are presented models of gospel service, and uh, we could probably break it down a lot more, come up with a lot more. Uh, but I, I would say that models of gospel service demonstrate humility, availability, and mobility. And we see this with Timothy. Uh, first of all, humility. Uh, and his humility is characterized by vulnerability and sacrifice centered around having a priority higher than himself. So because he has a higher priority than himself, he's willing to put himself in vulnerable and sacrificial positions. We've already talked about some of the other times he was willing to do this. But here it says, when he comes there, he's going to seek after your welfare. He's going to be more concerned about you than himself. Now, why does he do, do, do this? I almost said, why does he does this? But that's not very good English. Um, why does he do this? He does this because he has a different priority. He, he has a priority that is higher than himself, and it's the glory of Jesus Christ. So because he values the glory of Jesus Christ, he cares more about others. He cares about their progress in the gospel. He cares about their welfare, what happens to them, more than himself. It's the mark of a true servant. You know, um, it's often been repeated, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably repeating the same thing over and over again, but it bears repeating. Um, one of the key distinctives of a servant 
is to see how they react when you treat them like one. If you, if you treat somebody like a servant and they start getting huffy, puffy, upset, angry, disenfranchised, guess what? They're just a volunteer who's acting like a servant. When you treat somebody like a servant, that's where you see whether or not they have a servant's mindset. Humility is ingrained in servant nature. You, you, you notice how much Christ calls for us to serve one another. The scriptures call us to serve. Jesus gets down on his hands and knees, strips and wraps a towel around himself to do what? To clean the nasty feet of the disciples. Why? So that we have a model of service in him. Humility is the mark of a, a true servant. And the reality of Christianity demands humility. The reality of Christianity demands humility. Because there's, there's no room for earning in it. There's no, no way to say, well, I deserve better than this. No, we all deserve hell. We all deserve condemnation. When we look at what, what Christ received and what we're going to receive, when we look at what Christ went through on our behalf, we, we have no excuses but to humble ourselves and say, what can I do for him? I attended a conference this weekend, and uh, one of the things that they pointed out is um, the difference between a, a traditional culture and a, a secular culture, which we're now living in. And they said a, a, a traditional culture, they look out and they try and find their identity in what others believe about them. It's an externalized identity. So if I'm trying to figure out who I am, I'll go to my family or my nation and say, you know, what am I supposed to be? And they'll say, well, this is what it means for you to be a son. This is what it means for you to be a husband. This is what it means for you to be a good citizen. This is what it means for you to be a good worker. And then I would, I would start centering my life and working towards achieving those standards that the, that the external culture has placed upon me. The, this, the culture that we're living in now has a much different way of forming identity. The, the way it works is by looking inside of yourself and saying, okay, who am I really? What, what am I really like? What do I need to be about? And then once I've determined that, I can either be living an authentic life that is true to that vision of myself or an inauthentic life where I'm denying who I truly am. Am. And it demands the culture around me accept that vision of myself. And, and one of the brilliant things that um, was pointed out this weekend by uh, Timothy Keller, who was one of the speakers, he said, you know what? The gospel is different than both of those methods because both of those viewpoints are works-based. I've either got to be working so that people outside of me, my family, my community, accept and receive me for what I do for them, or I've got to be working to fulfill who I think I truly am. Both of them are works-based. In Christianity, what do we receive? We receive an inheritance. One of the marks of an inheritance is you don't work for it. 
It's a gift. It's freely given. We're adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God, and we receive the riches of his inheritance, not based on anything that we've done, but based on Christ's meritorious service for us. There's no room for pride in that. In, in Titus 2, it talks about, for by grace, uh, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people and equipping us. Now, now, wait a minute. Grace not only saves, but it also equips. So guess what that means? It, not only in our original point of salvation, but our continuation of salvation is a work of God's grace. We've seen that in Philippians as well, haven't we? That he who began a good work in you will finish it. The whole work, start to end, is a work of God. And he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who, is, who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the work and even the desire to do the work comes from God. There's no room for pride in this. The mark of a gospel servant is humility. The reality of Christianity, the reality of what Christ has done for us, the reality of what God has given to us demands humility, inspires humility. Because the lower we bring ourselves, the higher we can proclaim him. If we have a, 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 a you know, I believe that humility comes not from trying to lower our, our vision of ourselves, but to looking to Christ. If you look to Christ, you don't have to work on lowering your, yourself. You just recognize how much higher he is. And that helps you orient you where you actually are. It's as though you, you look out to the mountains and, you, and realizing how great, how large, how magnificent they are. How small you are in comparison. Uh, the second characteristic of gospel service following humility is availability. We see he's willing and open. Uh, one of the things that I, I, I think occurs in our day and age is that a, a lot of times we're just too busy to be available for what God has for us. We're, we're so tied up in, in, in activity that we don't have any availability for God. Timothy is a man who's available. When he's needed, he goes. He's open to what the Lord has for him. He's not so busy following his own schedule, his own plans, his own prerogatives, that he misses out on what God has for him. Thirdly, mobility. He went where God demanded. Uh, we, we talked about he went to Thessalonica. Here he's probably being sent uh, to Philippi. And guess what? It's back, not based on his whims. It's actually based on, on Paul's whims. Paul's thinking, hey, it'll be for good for the church of Jesus Christ if you go this place. And he knows Timothy's character, that he's the type of guy who will do it. He'll say, yeah, okay, I'd love to. Yeah, I'll go there. Yeah, I'll do that. He's mobility. He's willing to go when God commands. Uh, one, one of the, the, the two things you don't want to have is you don't want to stay when God tells you to go, and you don't want to go when God tells you to stay. We need to be open to where God is trying to locate or relocate us. I think of 
Austin Wolf, who died earlier this year, and I was in, in, in prayer group for him with him for many years, and all of, a, all of a sudden he said, you know, I think I'm going to go on the mission field. And he ended up going to Bolivia and, and serving there for a couple of years. Now, he was in his late 60s when he made that decision. Guess what? He, he was also in bad health. If you, it's very difficult to get cancer treatment, cancer drugs across a border. Yet they dealt with that. They, they went with all that. Why? Because he was available and mobile to what he believed God's plan was. And they served there for a couple years and came back. He was willing to go when that door closed, he came back. He was willing to go and minister where God directed. Now, we also have the example of Epaphroditus. Uh, let's look at that, and then we'll briefly talk about how he also fits in this pattern. He's, Paul says, I'm, I'm going to send Timothy, but right now I've, it's necessary to send to you. I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. Now, one of the things we, we need to know about Epaphroditus is that he's probably carrying this letter with him. So it says, I, I found it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, he's probably carrying this letter as he's going. And the reason why he came to Paul was that the Philippians had taken up an offering for Paul. Because as he was imprisoned, uh, you know, the, the, the Romans believed that just because you're in jail was no excuse for not paying your bills or not paying uh, for anything you need. Now, you couldn't work, but you had to, you had to pay for your food, you had to pay for uh, the necessities of life. So they realized this, so they took a collection and sent it to Paul so that he would be able to continue living and ministering. Um, another thing to mention, and, and, and uh, this is probably a tangent, but that hasn't stopped me before. Uh, in Paul's day and age, the, the primary uh, writing uh, what you would primarily write on was animal skins that, that were scraped, cleaned, and, and treated so that you, you could write on them. And they were not cheap. So one of the things we've got to realize that because of the Philippians' gift to Paul, that's one of the reasons why we probably have at least Philippians and possibly some of Paul's other letters. Their gift benefits not only Paul in his day, but also all the way into our day and age. Isn't that interesting to think about? A gift 2,000 years ago still benefiting the church today. Uh, so they sent him Epaphroditus. He's sending him back. Look how he describes Epaphroditus. My brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. He's a brother. Paul believes in the, the priesthood of all believers. Fellow worker and fellow soldier. He's toiling for the gospel. He's engaged in spiritual warfare as a good servant of the gospel should be. So that, that's how it, what he has in common with Paul. And what's his relation to the Philippians? Your messenger and minister. He probably brought a letter to Paul from the Philippians along with the financial gift. So what does he serve? He serves as a messenger to tell Paul about Philippi, what's going on there. 
and also to minister to Paul's need to deliver the financial gift to him in his certainly time of need as he's in prison. But he says, he's been, for he's been longing for your all. This echoes back Paul's own language in Philippians 1.8. God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. There's this longing, this desire to be reunited. He has affection for these people. And he's been distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I might be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. We see that Epaphroditus is somebody who's serving the Philippian church and he's ministering and serving to Paul's needs as well. And we see that as a result of that service, he himself got into physical trouble. We don't know whether it was on the journey over or after he met Paul as he was in prison, but an illness overtook him. Uh, Travel before the days of air-conditioned cabins and heated rooms while you travel was a much more grueling experience. And it also, also you know, you, you had uh, also travel in the days before refrigeration was a much more difficult process. You ever think about those, those little practical things? You know, they got no air conditioning. You know, the, when I think about the way in, in which a lot of these, these early... Um, uh, church folks like Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus moved around. You know, they they were kind of the closest modern equivalent I can think of is hobos. They're, they're traveling around. They're braving the elements. They're they're getting help where they can. You know, it's almost as like they're committed to this vagabond lifestyle for the sake of the gospel. And he endures an illness for that sake. Now, I think Paul is, is counteracting something here. He, he's worried about Epaphroditus' welcome, and he wants to, to make sure that he's welcomed in an appropriate manner. He, he doesn't want anybody to think that Epaphroditus failed in his mission, or he, he got worn out because of illness and, and was coming back for the wrong reasons. And he, he didn't want him to receive an ill welcome. No, he wanted them to realize he had committed to the task, he had accomplished the task, and he'd returned at Paul's exhortation. He'd done what he had come to do. And Paul calls out the church at Philippi to honor him, to receive him with rejoicing. He wants them to honor those who were sent. He wants them to honor those who serve. He wants to honor them who suffer. And he wants them to welcome him back when he returns. Uh, Epaphroditus, again, shows this uh, threefold characteristics of humility, availability, and mobility. He, he was willing to put himself at risk to go bring this gift to Paul. He, he was obviously somebody that was trustworthy. You give a large financial 
an uh, endowment or gift to somebody and say, hey, go give this to somebody else. Send them off. You better trust them. He put the needs of others above himself. He goes and ministers to Paul in prison. By, by the way, that, that's a, that, that would be a shameful association. This is an honor and shame culture. He, he could be dishonored just by associating with this prisoner. He might also come under a suspicious eye from Romans and, and Roman soldiers that are around. Oh, you're friends with this Paul guy. Yeah, the one that's, that's over in, arrested here for spreading this cult called Christianity. Okay, you're associated with him. We'll keep an eye out for you. We'll be watching you. But he's willing to put the needs of others above himself. There's a vulnerability in his humility. He's willing to expose himself to weakness, to illness. There's an availability. He was willing to go. He is willing to make the journey to meet Paul. And he was mobile when he went, when they told him, and he returned at Paul's behest. He came back when that occurred. Now, when we look at all, all these things uh, in these two people, I want you to know this, these are also characteristics of Christ, are they not? He was humble. We remember back earlier in chapter 2, who he, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Humility. But emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Vulnerability and sacrifice as signs of that humility. Availability. He was willing to come down to earth on our behalf. His availability, Christ, Christ's life is one of the most available. When you look at what he says in John, he, he continually re repeats, you know, here am I. Or, or, sorry, he, he continually repeats, I'm not here to do my will. I'm not here to follow my agenda. I'm not here to, to speak my words. I'm here to speak the words the Father gives me. I'm here to do the task that he has called me to. And certainly in the Garden of Gethsemane, where it says, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. He has an availability to the plans and the purposes of God. He prioritizes God's will above his own. And when God says go, he goes. He goes to earth. He goes to the cross. He goes to the grave. And then he goes to glory. Saints, what journey are you on? Are you serving the gospel? Are you more concerned about the things of the gospel than your own life? I hope you are. I hope you're also encouraged. Um, you know, some of these people are, are kind of more intimidating to look at. Christ, gosh, I can never live up to that standard. I can never be somebody like him. Paul, man, he was, he was pretty, pretty amazing. 
Timothy, well, maybe. That's, that's getting closer in the range. Epaphroditus, he was just somebody who was, who was willing and able to go. It doesn't tell us anything about, you know, it doesn't say he was a great speaker, great teacher. He didn't tell us any skills or abilities he had. He was just somebody who was humble, available, and mobile for the purposes and plans of God. I hope this has encouraged you. And I hope it's an encouragement to serve the purposes of the gospel. There's nothing more glorious we can do while we're down here than that. Let's close in prayer. Or, not close in prayer. Let's close the message in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many ways you've blessed us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see Christ, to imitate Christ, to grow in faith, hope, and love as we pursue Christ. In the beautiful and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.